Hello, welcome to the Axiom Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Dash, and I'm here again with Shannon. Shannon, it's so nice to have you and have you a part of the team. Thanks so much, Devin. I am so glad to be here and glad to be back on the podcast. Yes. Uh, picking up part two of hiring a players. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back. Uh, we'll leave a link to it in the show notes. You can always find it on our website uh, under podcasts, or you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can go back and find it. It's the last episode that we released. And we want to pick up th- that discussion. We talked a lot about evaluating our hiring process um, and really kind of the three components that we are are looking at and encouraging our listeners to look at in their hiring process, um, evaluating culture fit. And we talked all about culture fit in the, the first episode, along with how you can structure your whole interview process from, you know, putting the application on Indeed to giving the offer letter. Um, and we talked about the different stages that you should go through and what kind of conversations you should be having in order to evaluate culture fit. And Shannon shared her experience. In this episode, we really want to focus in on the other two kind of buckets that we're looking at categorically to evaluate candidates. Um, and that's going to be their experience and their competency. Um, and I think that this is important to kind of, as a disclaimer, before we really jump into this episode, is that we, and we mentioned this in, in the first part, if they are not a good culture fit, then you can ignore experience and competency. Yes, absolutely. Because they do not have a seat on the bus if their character and their values are, if they if they cannot demonstrate that they fit on our team mm-hmm. and that they think that they think the same similar way that we do, that they have a character, they have character qualities that are demonstrated among all of our existing team members. If they're going to be counter to that or be detractors from that, then they don't get a seat on the bus. Doesn't matter how much experience or competency they have. And that is part of the reason why the interview process should be a little bit longer than right. than you would assume, because that is how you're going to start seeing that culture fit. Exactly. But that's for that's part one. Mm-hmm. Let's jump into our first topic of, of experience. How do we evaluate experience in an interview process and like or in our interview process, how do we start to evaluate experience? And I think I'll ju- I'll just ask the question and not it's rhetorical, I guess, but I'll just say in general, the one thing that is still very relevant to every interview process, every hiring process is the resume, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the first thing that we want to look at when we're evaluating somebody's experience um, because experience is going to, is that thing which demonstrates, a, a tr- it's a track record that demonstrates their involvement in a particular field, mm-hmm. a particular position. Um, and, and the resume is the thing that captures that all in one document. Yes, absolutely. So Shannon, talk to me a little bit about uh, the first section of every resume, um, which is like job history. And what does that point to that we should look at in a candidate? Yeah, I think when we're looking at job history, we're looking for a couple of different things. We're looking for the title, not necessarily that a title um, gives somebody more weight than any other person, but we're looking for a title because that can demonstrate the ability to do the job that you're hiring for. If you're hiring for a sales position, if they have 
a couple of jobs from the past where the most recent one was like a sales apprentice or maybe the one before that was customer service um, representative. You have that demonstrated ability of they know how to talk to people. Mm. And you want to make sure that that is part of their history. Now, if you're hiring for a salesperson and the only job they have is, oh my goodness, I don't even know, maybe typing, maybe like medical billing and you're hiring for a salesperson. It's not that they can't do the job. It's that they don't currently possess the demonstrated ability to have done the job yet. Right. And, you know, this is something that uh, the thing that comes straight to my mind is somebody who may have been in like an administrative assistant position. Right. And, you know, it's an entry level position. They're wanting to get maybe they want to get some experience in business and they they got, you know, got into a small business. They needed help around the office. They're learning how, you know, documents flow. They might have they might be dabbling in administrative duties, whether it's, you know, accounts payable, accounts receivable, um, distributing mail, maybe it's collecting, um, copying documents when somebody comes in for a hiring process. They're, they're kind of just serving in, in whatever role uh, that is helpful for the organization to increase some capacity. And like, but at the end of the day, that position relies a lot on other individuals who are responsible for leading those processes mm-hmm. to say, hey, can you help me do this, mm-hmm. right? Unless, unless it's something like, you know, ordering office supplies. Yeah. Right. But that, that person is relying on somebody to hand them a task and say, Hey, can you do this for me? And so the, the example that, you know, that as the example that you gave, if they're, if they have a history of being like an administrative assistant or an assistant, you know, at, at higher levels throughout their career and they're applying for a sales position, it's not to say that they can't do the job, but we have to dig and we have to ask more questions in our phone interviews, our phone screen and our in-person interviews to understand, okay, how's this person going to do at being a go-getter, right? Mm-hmm. Not taking tasks from other people and then executing the tasks, but being able to identify what work needs to be done without somebody telling them, Absolutely. Right? Which in a sales position is like the difference between a hunter or a gatherer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I think that's the clear example that comes into my mind is looking at the jobs that they held in the past and seeing, okay, they're, they're, they're applying for the sales position, but all they've ever done in the past is are jobs that, you know, not disparaging of the individual, but of the role is order taking. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a great example. Um, some, what, what else? When we're looking at job history, what is something that a business owner or a hiring manager might look at to maybe like as a yellow flag? If we're, look, if we're just focusing on the resume, what's a yellow flag in a resume? Yeah, I would say that um, gaps are going to be something that you want to look for as well. And again, that is something that you want to ask more questions about, not just write them off entirely. I think it's really, really important, and I'm going to drive this point home in this podcast, is that you don't just write people off. There is always a chance for everybody. Everybody, I believe, gets at least one chance, if not multiple chances. And when you're looking at a resume, there are so many reasons for a lapse in um, like a job history or work environment or what have you. I would say that 
if you go down a little bit, you can look at the education part of their resume. If there's a two-year gap, did they go to school for two years? If there's a four-year gap, did they go to school for four years? If there's a longer gap or if there's even a shorter gap, maybe you're asking the question if it's um, a female, maybe you're asking um, or trying to figure out based on what they're saying, are they a mom? Did they become a mom? Did they want to try and stay home for a little bit? Um, and even if it is a male, you can ask those questions. You can kind of deduct, okay, maybe he wanted to stay home with his child for a little bit. There are so many different questions you want to ask, obviously being sensitive to who you're talking to, um, in general. But my biggest thing is just don't write people off because there's so many reasons. Yeah. And I would say the other side of that coin, you kind of mentioned it is, but I want to talk about it a little bit more, um, holistically or, or explicitly is the shorter stints, mm-hmm. right? And not, not shorter gaps, mm-hmm. but shorter stints. And, you know, so the question is, this person came in as, as an accounts payable clerk, then they, a year later, they left the organization and went to a bookkeeping job at another organization. And then a year later, they went and got a controllership at another position at another company, um, as an example. And the question is, man, okay, one, is this person, do we want to hire this person for a short-term stint? Mm-hmm. Because their history, their their experience shows that they have, you know, their track record is that they've spent a short amount of time in these jobs, these roles. So that's a question for us to ask as a hiring manager. The second question is, do were these shorter stints representative of a person who is just trying to get enough time under their belt to be able to go apply for the next position and then, and does the being hired at a, at a, at a position that has more responsibility demonstrate that they actually did that job well, or did they just get enough credibility through, you know, the resume to be able to get that next position? Yeah. Um, and so that's where, you know, you want to, again, you want to dig, you want to ask questions about those, that work experience and the resume, because they may have it in a title and they may have held that position, but it doesn't necessarily demonstrate the experience that they've done it before. So that's like, you know, just looking at job history, let's talk a little bit about education, right? Because it's another section on the resume. And, you know, education, obviously, we we talked about a little bit. I've seen times where there's a break, there's a gap in their, their job, the positions that they held, because they did go back to school. And you can, you know, you can, hopefully, they've put the years and they've put the time that they were present at the university and out of jobs, in their resume. Um, but moving away from formal education, other important informal experience that hiring managers might look for on the resume to, to understand experience. Yeah. Um, the first one that comes to mind are like internships, right? Mm-hmm. And that's paid, unpaid, could be volunteer um, work and other experience that the informal education that they might've gotten. Um, what are some other maybe informal uh, informal education that, that you might look for in, in a hiring manager, in a position that you're hiring for? Yeah. I, when I was hiring, something that I looked a lot for was, um, even sometimes it wasn't even on the resume. I would ask the question, have you done any sort of mentorship, masterclass, mastermind group, um, in the past couple of years for the specific enter job title here Mm -hmm. that you're looking to join our company for. Um, 
And the reason I would ask that is because there's uh, some of our listeners might be familiar with Coursera, um, the Khan Academy, and um, there's actually a platform called Masterclass itself, and they host classes that you can take. Some of them are even from like Harvard Business School. You can ad hoc this class and you can get a certificate that you completed it. And I ask those questions because I want to know if they can apply themselves to that because they want to know the information. That's a big deal. Mm. It's informal. You're not obviously going for extended periods of time, but I don't know what their circumstances are. I don't know why they chose to or didn't choose to go to a formal type of education. But informally, if you're interested in a topic, um, one for me personally, I was really interested in human psychology. So I took a couple, I audited a couple Mm -hmm. classes on Coursera because it's fascinating to me. Um, and it's just, you can learn so much from those things. Um, And mastermind groups and mentorships, obviously mentorships is an easy one. You can find someone to be your mentor, somebody in your business, like in your dream job, you can find somebody like, Hey, this is what I want to do. When I grow up, I want to be just like you. Would you help me? Like, this is where I'm at right now. Could you just help me? Could we meet for coffee once a month and sit down and talk? I think that's a really big deal because again, that shows a desire to learn, a desire to grow, a desire to get better. Right. Um, and then finally, the mastermind group. Um, you're in one kind of yourself, C12, the key players group. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, any any group, I think, that uh, gives you the ability to, you know, sit with peers who are in different industries is a really great way to gain experience in other fields of knowledge uh, I would not say that I'm competent, though, in some of those fields, but I definitely get experience from their, you know, the knowledge that they share, their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I can get a more full full body of knowledge to apply in certain situations. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, mastermind groups are a great way to get more of an informal experience Yeah, uh, in, a, in a field. I would say that, too, we just have to remember that experience doesn't always lend itself to a good hire. Right. And we, you know, that's why we say culture fit, values fit has to be, that's stand, that cannot be off the table, that that's the first. Um, But then we look at experience and competency together because of that reason, right? And so that's what you're really getting at is I can have, I can have spent all this time in a field. And, you know, I'm thinking of our blue collar trades where you can have somebody who's a technician and they've bounced around from company to company and they've never grown. You know, I think, let's just think of like a, an HVAC contractor for a second. They, they came in and they were uh, an assistant and maybe they moved to a tech level one, but then they've continued to bounce from position to position um, at, at different jobs, but nev- they have a lot of experience, but we have to determine, do they demonstrate the competency to perform the job at a high level? Do we want a tech one who's going to always remain a tech one? Or do we want them to be able to have the the competency, right? We start to measure competency to grow to a tech two or a tech three. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you're, we're starting to get at the difference between experience and competency. Experience can lend itself to competency, but experience does not always equal competency. So I, I think that's where like we have to evaluate competency in a hire. And 
man, there's so many different ways to do that. I think, you know, I look at it where if you have experience and maybe you didn't go to school, but you've spent 20 years in a field. Well, if you are leaving a position for whatever reason, but you want to, you know, go out and get paid more because the market is is now paying more for that position. And, you know, you definitely have a, a good body of knowledge to be able to apply and, and bring a value to another organization. You might say, okay, well, I have the experience and, but my experience doesn't necessarily demonstrate a competency. So let me go out and get my certifications, mm-hmm. right? Let me go get my, you know, credit hours from a, from a course and get the, you know, if I think human resources, right? There are mm-hmm. tons of certifications that you get from the Society for Human Resources mm-hmm. that will demonstrate a competency in that body of, in that field of, of study in that knowledge group. Absolutely. And I think too, when we talk about competency, we want to think about technical competency um, on the idea that Um, There's aptitude tests, there's personality assessments that you can do, and aptitude tests are going to be something when you're looking to hire, you can get them on Indeed or LinkedIn, Um, and there's also in-house tests. So I, um, many years ago, like a decade ago, was a part of um, an interview process that included an aptitude test after the second interview. So the first was a phone screening. The second was an in-person interview. And it, immediately following that in-person interview was an aptitude test. Hmm. And it was probably one of, I, other than the ACT, <laughs> was like top most terrifying test of my life. Right. <laughs> um, and I would say that maybe they went a little overboard on this because it was like, are you smarter than a fifth grader mm-hmm. is kind of how I felt. It was going back to a bunch of like decimal point questions. You can't use a calculator. You have to do all this stuff in your head. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was applying specifically, I believe, for like a data entry position, like a very entry level. I was 18 years old. I just wanted to have experience. (laughs) So you have to think about, too, like what you're hiring for and what your field is in. Yeah. And that's, that's where you have to look for aptitude tests that like, I think what you're getting at is we, we really can't give a test if it doesn't have the correlated data that validates that this test actually gives proof that people who perform well in this test prove, you know, Mm -hmm. perform well at the job. Um, And so, you know, I will just give that caution to business owners who are like, yeah, what, what aptitude tests should we use? You know, don't, Start small. When we do aptitude tests for accounting positions or bookkeeping positions that we're hiring for, you can use Indeed's basic um, certificate uh, aptitude test, mm-hmm. uh, typing test. They have so many different assessments that you can give and post to, with a job on Indeed that will get, you know, the participant has to apply. You know, they should. Yeah. They don't have to, but they can complete. Um and they're, you know, they're basic, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not an accountant, but I can pass the accounting t- assessment, right? I, yeah. They're very easy tests that should be able to, at the end of it, the applicant can take that demonstrates an ability to do the job um, at a high level. Yeah. But be careful because you don't want to build your own aptitude test, start using that to screen candidates with. And meanwhile, they file a complaint because they didn't get the job and they gave me this assessment. And then you have to prove that 
them not getting the job because they didn't pass the assessment, you have to prove that the assessment's valid. So I would just give some caution there. Yeah. Um, I think another type of assessment, right? So that we're talking about like IQ, um, there's EQ assessments that you can give. I think personality assessments fit into this competency discussion because, you know, and I think of the, the stereotypical accountant, mm-hmm. right? A personality assessment given to an individual does not valid, you know, it do, it's not like you get the job if you are an introvert or you don't get the job if you're an extrovert. Yeah. But what it allows the the hiring manager to do, particularly if we're hiring somebody for a data entry position that requires a, a extreme attention to detail, not messing things up, um, and it might require them to just work on a, you know, be self-driven to get through their inbox, if you will, you, you the personality assessment will be helpful here because if the personality assessment tests whether or not this person uh, works more, better with people or works better on task, right? With Reach Ecosystem, we use that and it measures the one's relational kind of drive. Mm-hmm. And so does this person prefer to work with people or can they go, do they prefer to work head down on tasks? Mm-hmm. So they're not not necessarily a one-to-one correlation that if they're a people person, they're going to not perform well at this more accounting type position, but it can help us to evaluate, Hey, your, your personality style strikes me. And, you know, personality assessment says that you are much more relational. You prefer to work in a collaborative environment. You know, do you, are you going to be able to go head down and possibly work by yourself or in a cubicle where it, there's not a lot of discussion in the accounting office. Is that something that you're going to be able, you feel like you, you're going to be successful at? Yeah. Again, going back to kind of something we mentioned in the first episode is because it's just as much our purpose in this interview process to make sure that we're understanding how we can help you and serve you if we decide to bring you on board. And we're not sure that we can change your, the way you think and the way that you're, you're driven. So that yeah. a personality can help assessment can help us evaluate that. Yeah. I think if more people, more employers did some sort of personality and it's, again, it's not to cut anyone out. It's more so to just have that awareness. If they did that, for example, um, I was in a position at a company where I was sitting in an office all by myself for eight hours a day, staring at a computer, entering data in a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Now, most of our listeners have not met me face to face, but Devin can attest to this, that I am not that person. Yeah. <laughs> you stick me in a room all day. I'm going to start talking to myself in the mirror. Yep. It's a problem. So if we would have just done some sort of short assessment, they probably would have realized sticking me up front I could have still done the data entry because I'm not bad at that. But sticking me up front where I would have some sort of human connection, I would have done much better at that job. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say one more thing that, you know, we can use to gauge technical competency. And it's a tool that we've we've found helpful for many years. Um, I think we're moving away from it because we want to make it a little bit more robust. That's what we do. We take things that exist and we, we try to make them more robust, more robust, but we want to give credit where credit is due. Um, and top grading released uh, a, a tool that they, we used for a long time and we gave credit to them for it with, and it's a career history form. 
And I'm mentioning I'm mentioning this because as we kind of close out the podcast, right? Competency and experience, um, they're very important. They're not the most important, but they are important. And so, top grade the top grading form is a tool that allows you to evaluate both. And so, what do I mean by that? Well. The top grading career history form is a form that the job applicants fill out and it kind of captures similar things that they you would on the resume in terms of list the last three positions that you held and what was the company name, who's a reference that we, you know, who's a reference at that company, can we reach out to them? So we're, we're engaging person, able to call and engage personality. If they say yes, you can call this person, um, but it also has what was your title so, so what was the position that you held? Um, how many people did you manage? You know, so was that a managerial position? Uh, who did you report to? So is the reference the same as the person that was responsible for their success, their leader? Uh, and that also includes uh, short descriptions of why, why you're leaving this job. Um, what did you like about the job? What did you not like about the job? And all of that is gauging experience. But then there's something that is unique about this top grading form, career history form, which is it. we ask applicants to give us their their compensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's a, it's pretty taboo to ask what prior, com- it's more much more common in a sales manager position or a sales position. So that, that's where we're dem- we see a demonstrated competency. Um, yeah, I, I earned this much in sales commission and here's my W-2s to prove it, right? Mm-hmm. But with a administrative salary position, that history on the, the career history form helps us to see the value, right? If we equate salary that we pay somebody to the value that they've brought to the organization, we can see a demonstrated ability to bring value to the organization based on what their base was, if they had performance comp incentives and they, you know, received those performance comp incentives. And so it's just a really great tool for us to understand a little bit of character and, you know, are they going to be a culture fit? Mm -hmm. Do they have the experience um, managing other people or working in a similar position prior? And does that experience go hand in hand with the competency piece in that they actually brought value to the organization? Yeah. Um, and it's shown through their earnings um, and their earning potential, reaching their earning potential. So, um, yeah, just a great tool. With with that, I think we're going to wrap this up and just say we hope that this has been uh, helpful for you. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to Axiom. We'd love to talk. Yeah, we'd love to talk to you. Um, but Especially just me. Remember, <laughs> <laughs> just remember, you know, hiring eight players, uh, we, we really can encourage you to go slow in this process and do the phone screens, do the in-person interviews with more than one individual in the room, asking questions, um, evaluating the, those three categories of culture fit experience and technical competency. And, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to take longer, um, go slow. And we hope that you will be able to hire long-term players to your company Uh, Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much.